to this, our 9.30 service. I'm just here to bring this morning's reading. Um, today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, and it's going to be verses 5 to 15. So continuing in our series in Ordinary Graces, today we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. This is God's word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you this morning. And Father, we thank you for the time of worship. God, we thank you for the reminder that in Christ, Lord, that we have no condemnation. God, that you look upon him and that you pardon us. Father, I pray that this morning that we would just see the depths of our sin, but Lord, in turn, we would see the glorious goodness of your grace, Father, that through Jesus we have freedom from our sin, Lord, from the power of it. And, and I pray, Father, that just what John has prepared to, to teach us this morning through your word, Lord, that it would encourage us to pray, to be in your presence, Lord, not just to, to bring a list before you, Father, but just to, to be still and to listen, to pray things that are in your will for our, our church and for our, our church family and the wider community. So God, I just pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit this morning, help us to see our deep need for you, Father, and that we would leave here this morning encouraged and equipped God, we just pray for the teachers in the kids' spaces, and Lord, pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high there this morning. Father, come and do what only you can do. Glorify Jesus and glorify your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steph, for that. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, we are this week in the last of our short series called Life in the Ordinary. Uh, if you can remember back to the start of this short series, what the premise of this series was that theologians over time have come to call certain aspects of what we do in our gathering the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. And what that simply me me means is that this is how believers, followers of Christ, are fed primarily. The ordinary means of grace. Right, so what, what are they? We've looked at a few things. We've looked at the word read and preached. We've looked at communion. We've looked at baptism. And today we're looking at prayer. 
And those are essentially the ordinary means of grace. We, we set this series up uh, by, by looking at Acts 2, the early church, what they did, and that was the pattern that was set forth for the church to follow. And so today we come to prayer. But I want to say, there was, a, there was a, a thing I said at the start of the series, which I want to follow up on as we get going today. What I said was that I would contend that if we commit to these things and are, can somebody go next door to the kids and tell them that we don't need a disco in here, no? Uh, what I would contend is that if we commit to these things, if we are consistent in these things, that is where we'll find life. If we're consistent and committed to these things, that is where we'll find life. The word read and preached, baptism, communion, prayer, that is where God has ordained that we would find life, life in the ordinary. Now, I don't know if I've done a good enough job in convincing you of that thus far, but I hope, you, hope that you're with me on that. But here's what I want to say as we get going today. This is where you will find all those elements on a weekly basis. Maybe not so much baptism, but baptism, just as I say that, we had two people come forward last week at the end of last week's sermon to say that they would like to be baptized. What I want to say is this, if you're in here this morning and you haven't been baptized, please see me. We will arrange that in the next few weeks on the back of last week's sermon. Please do come and see me. We will arrange that to happen in the next few weeks. But this is where all those elements are present. And what I want to say is, if we're committed and consistent in this, we'll find life. We will find life. Right. Prayer. Prayer is part of our gatherings here every week. It is consistently part of our gatherings. But, but I want to set this up today by saying, giving you a quote from Jesse Ryle. Uh, and I don't know why you'll agree with this quote. I, I don't think you will. I'll promise, uh, I don't think you will agree with this quote. I'll give you the first couple of words of it and then I'll, I'll ask you. Prayer is the simplest act in all religion. Anybody disagree? No, you won't say it, but you do probably. Prayer is the simplest act in all religion. It is simply speaking to God. It needs neither learning nor wisdom nor book knowledge to begin with. It needs nothing but heart and will. The weakest infant can cry when he is hungry. The poorest beggar can hold out his hand for alms and does not wait to find fine words. The most ignorant man will find something to say to God if he only has a mind. Well, if that's the case, why do we struggle with prayer so much? If that is the case, why do we struggle? Because, because prayer is something that for most part I think the followers of Jesus struggle with. From chatting to people just on a pastoral level, from, from listening, uh, this is something that we, we struggle with. 
And there can be many reasons why we find prayer difficult. Sometimes we feel as if we're just talking to ourselves, perhaps. Sometimes we don't see the immediate answers that we want. For some of us, just simply slowing down to take the time to pray can be difficult. There are tons of reasons why we find it hard to pray. But the encouraging thing about this is that from Scripture, we can see that we're not on our own. We're not on our own when it comes to the struggle of prayer. Why do I say that? Look at the, the passage that we read this morning. In Luke's account of this very same passage, you will see the disciples coming to Jesus, and what do they ask? They ask, teach us how to pray. In other words, we're struggling. We don't know what to do here. We don't know how to do this. Jesus, you teach us the struggle. And so be encouraged. John Calvin says that in our ignorance, Jesus chose to help our ignorance. That's an encouraging word there. In our ignorance, in our lack of ability, in our struggle, Jesus chooses to help us in our struggle. And so Jesus gives us this outline of what prayer should look like. This outline, this structure of what prayer should look like. He wants to make it as simple as possible for those who will follow him. But let me ask you a question just as we do start. Do you pray? Do you pray? That might seem like the most elementary question to followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, that might seem like a silly question. But, but I think it's a question that we have to ask ourselves and, and we have to give ourselves an honest assessment of whether we do pray or not. Now, I don't mean, do we pray in a prayer meeting? Do we pray here on Sunday? I, I, don't mean, I just mean, do you pray? Do you talk to God? That might be wherever you are, or in the car, or, or, or whatever, cleaning the house, or whatever it may be, or at your work. Do you pray? Do you pray? You see, the questions that, they, the, questions that the disciple asked Jesus in, Luke, in Luke's version of what we just read, teach us how to pray. There's, there's a presupposition that disciples of Jesus will do what? Pray. There's, there's, this, there's just this inbuilt notion that disciples of Jesus will pray. So they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Do we pray? Something I think is really important to say is this. And I hope this encourages you when it comes to prayer. Prayer happens really, prayer should happen. The Apostle Paul says pray without ceasing. So prayer, but, but primarily, prayer happens in two arenas, I think. It happens when we take time aside, when we actually just take time and we're away and we're worth the word and we're with Jesus and we pray. But it also happens all the time, everywhere. Paul says, as they pray without ceasing. So, what does Jesus tell us about prayer. What is prayer? Well, as Bishop Ryle puts it, prayer is simply conversing with God. It is a 
conversation. It's a conversation with God. Just a wee heads up for any of the youth that are in the room. Uh, we've decided we're going to do a wee thing on Sunday nights for the youth, those of high school age and up. Uh, I'm going to be asking them questions on the sermon. And there's going to be prizes. So heads up, all right? I might give you some like, you need to know this. It's like a GCSE. I'm prepping you for a GCSE. You need to know this, right? So it is a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation. And before we go any further, let me just stop there and say what a privilege that is in itself. What a privilege that we have as a people to converse with the God of the universe. Like, just sit and think about that for a moment. The God who made everything, who sustains everything, who has made everything that has ever been and will make everything that it will ever be, we get to talk to that God when we want. When we want. And he listens. What an absolute privilege that that is because of the work of Jesus. I love the imagery in the Bible, and, 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 and some of the greatest imagery that we have is around the cross, obviously. But that imagery of the, the curtain being ripped in two, and access being given to the people of God. What a beautiful picture of our, of our prayer life, that we've been given full access to the God of the universe. It's a conversation. And what that tells us is this, that God wants to communicate. All along this series of, of, of life in the ordinary and the means of ordinary grace, this is what we've been coming to, that God wants to communicate with us. He wants to, to converse with us. And that goes right back to, to, the first, uh, to our first parents, Adam and Eve. He communicated with them. He spoke with them. The God of the Bible speaks, and we get to speak to him. Now, a true and genuine conversation is two-way. It is not just a one-way monologue. It's not like this, even though some of you try to make it into a conversation sometimes. Uh, this is, you know, I don't want that, all right? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, it's not like that. It's a two-way thing. A genuine conversation is a two-way thing. He speaks. God speaks to us. In prayer. How does he speak? Well, primarily God speaks through his word, of course. The Bible. The Bible is God's word. He has spoken. We can trust it. When we're in a right relationship with him, we can trust his word. The Holy Spirit has penned these words for us to know God and for, the, for us to hear him speak. But he also speaks through his spirit. He guides us. He prompts us. He leads us. And when we're in prayer, when we're conversing with God, when we're speaking to God, and, and, and He's speaking to us through the Spirit, and He does, and He leads and He guides. But the only, the only uh, thing I would say about this, and the only caution I would give us around this, is that we are sinful human beings. We're sinful. And so we, we, we receive through that lens, we receive through the lens of being sinful human beings. 
And it's not wise for us to accept that every idea and every thought that enters our mind is from God because of that sinful lens that we have. And so if we think we're hearing from the Spirit of God, what we need to do in prayer, when we're conversing with God, God's conversing with us, what we need to do is see if it matches up with His Word. God will... God will not guide you to do something that is outside of his word. Fact. Example. God told me to leave my husband and be with someone else. Wrong. God did not tell you that. That's just one example. God will not guide us to do something that is outside of his word. Alright? It's very important when we think about prayer and when we, we think about communicating with God. It's a conversation. And a conversation, this conversation contains many can contain many things thanksgiving intercession where we bring others before god petition where we pray for the desires that we have but it's essentially a conversation prayer is a conversation all right second thing prayer is is a confession of our inability and a recognition of god's ultimate ability it's a recognition of our inability. It's us saying that we are not able. We are totally dependent on God. John Piper said, The things that matter most to us cannot be done without God. We are utterly dependent on Him. We are utterly dependent on Him. I think the best illustration of this dependency in prayer uh, is always that of an infant. Like you think about a newborn. Think about how dependent they are on their parents. They are dependent on them for feeding. They are dependent on them for cleaning. They are dependent on them for every single element of their life. They're depending on, they're dependent on them to lift them, to move them, to do anything with them. And that's what pr genuine prayer, when we are coming to God and laying ourselves before him. That's what it's showing. We are dependent on him. We're not dependent on ourselves. If this is true, if prayer is an indication of our inability and God's ultimate ability and our dependence on him, if that's true, What does lack of prayer say about us? Well, it would say that we are way more arrogant than we would believe. Because we believe we can do it ourselves. Jesus said in John 15, I think it is, Jesus said, Without me, Without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, what we have done 
more often than not, is turn that into saying, Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And what we have done more often than not is turn that into saying, Jesus, without me, you can do nothing. How arrogant are we when we think like that? That God needs us to accomplish his purposes. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a recognition of our inability and his ultimate ability. But prayer, thirdly, is for our good and God's glory. John Calvin would almost go one step further. He says this, It is not for his sake that he is ordained prayer, but for ours. It's not for his sake that he is ordained prayer, but for ours. You see, we're the ones, folks, we're the ones that benefit from prayer. We're the ones that benefit. We are the ones when we come to God and ask Him to provide and ask Him to move and ask Him to help, He does it. Like, I, I've heard people say things like, when, when, we, when we talk about prayer meetings and we talk about prayer gatherings, I've heard, I've heard people say, I don't get anything out of it. You're coming to the God of the universe. Who is the only one, as Piper said, who is the only one that can accomplish anything of worth. Anything of worth. It only benefits us and those whom we pray for. It just makes our lack and our reluctance to pray even more crazy when we think about this. It is for our own good. Now, listen, we're human beings. This is who we are, right? This is who we are as human beings. I know what's good for me, right? I know what's good for me. I know that if I exercise on a regular basis, if I don't eat Mars Duos, like they're, com like they're literally going out of fashion, right? If I don't drink... Listen, the best one I have, right? And Steph, you're going to look at me with like judgment, I know. I can feel it. I can feel it, Steph, I can. Uh, I know, right, that I shouldn't drink Coke Zero, right? I know that. But there's nothing in it. It's zero, all right? Right? And I convince myself of this. I convince myself that it is good for me because there's no calories in it and there's no such and such in it and there's no... And I convince myself, right? And I feel like a bloated, like, wheel, all right? Still convince myself. I know what's good for me. I know I should drink water. I know I shouldn't eat rubbish. I know I should exercise. I know I should go to bed early and get loads of sleep. I know these things. What I do? The opposite of those things. And it's the same when it comes to prayer. We know prayer is good for us. We know prayer benefits us. We know prayer benefits those around us. We know these things. And we don't do it. And we don't do it. It's who we are. It's who we are. 
God just gives us wee, wee nuggets sometimes in Scripture. Just think about this verse. 1 Peter 5, 6, verse seven, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen to this. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why would we not pray when that's the God that we're coming to? Like, I guarantee you, I, I, could, I almost guarantee you, 98% of this room is anxious about something. If not 100%. And the God of the Bible says, give it to me. Why? I love you. I care for you. Prayer benefits us. So it's a conversation. It's a conversation. It is a confession of our inability, but it is also for our good and for his glory. So that's three things that prayer is. Now I just want to spend the rest of our time thinking about how Jesus sets this up. How when his disciples come to him and ask him to, ask him to teach them how to pray, what does he say to them about prayer? He doesn't just go straight into it. He doesn't just go, well, here's the X, Y, and Z of prayer. He prefaces it with, with a section here in, in Matthew. Let me read it to you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus prefaces what he's going to, he's going to teach the disciples how to pray, but he prefaces it with these warnings. Just previous to this, he, he talks about giving, and he, and he says the same thing about giving. What does he say? When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. I've told you this before. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would give a praise. I would, I would give a praise to someone who could tell me what that word hypocrite means. Anybody, I've told you before. I have told you before. Nobody, right? <laughs> the word hypocrite literally means here actor. Actor. Do not be like the actors, Jesus says. People who are putting on a show Think about the word actor. Think about what it means. First thing it means is this. The first word, the word actor describes someone who is playing a role to be seen by others. So what Jesus is saying here is that all these actors, all these hypocrites want to draw attention to who? Themselves. How do we know they want to draw attention to themselves? Because of where they position themselves. 
Look at the text. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. And so what we need to do is transport, our back, uh, transport ourselves back into the context again. And why is that significant? That's significant because the synagogue was the center of the culture. It's not just where religious services would happen or religious observances would happen. It was where everyone gathered. It was a social space as well. Everyone would gather there. It's very hard for us to sort of get this in our minds. In our culture, we're very individualistic. This culture was very communal, and they would gather socially in the synagogue. And what would happen is these hypocrites, these actors, would position themselves in the synagogues, and they would shout out their loud prayers. Jesus says, no, no, don't do that. There, there, there really is no cultural equivalence to this today. I, I don't think we have one uh, where, where the whole of society would gather. Like, at one, probably at one time. You could say, like, the local... I give Tom McAvoy more, like, adverts than anybody else. But, like, the milestone is probably, like, the equivalent, the thrilling equivalent is the milestone. It's like me getting in there tomorrow morning in the milestone and placing myself around, like... They're doing black box donuts now. I've placed myself around that a couple of times. But uh, it's like me going to stand there and like roaring my prayers out. And I would probably, if I wanted to do it right, I would probably get a wee robe, you know, to draw more attention to myself. It's like that. Jesus says, don't do this. Don't be like them. Don't, you're, you're not that. And you see, the world that we live in today is the opposite of this. The polar opposite of what Jesus is telling his disciples to be like. In the world that we live in today, everyone seems to be living for the applause of men. Everyone seems to be living for the applause of men. And in the world you're told, you're told, you are now, you are now told bombarded that if you don't have the applause of men then you're nothing we're, the world is setting us up for this if you're not in the spotlight constantly if you're not getting the applause if you're not getting the attention then, then you're not worth anything like what is the, what is the one word that, that you hear floating about now when it comes to uh, especially social media. What is the one word that you hear floating about a lot? Can anybody, like, you want to be a influencer. An influencer, right? And so to be an influencer, what do you need to do? You need to draw attention to who? Yourself. And the world is bombarding us with this all the time. You need to draw attention to yourself. You need to draw attention. You need to be an influencer. Now, hear me. If you want to be an influencer and draw attention away from yourself to Christ, go for it. Go for it. But we need to be very careful we're not just drawing attention to ourselves. Folks, it's the same in ministry. 
It is absolutely the same in ministry today. If you if, I, if you're on social media and you are a pastor or an elder, or a, you would be led to believe that if you do not have a certain amount of followers, if you do not have a certain amount of podcasts, if you do not write a certain amount of books, if you do not name drop all over the place, then you're of no value and of no worth. Jesus says, do not be like that. This is the upside-down, back-to-front kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated. We are not to be like the world and to fall into the traps that the the world is setting for us. So, they put on a show for others, not for themselves. They put on a show for to be seen. The second thing the word actor means is to play a role that's not yourself. I've talked about this before in, in, in church when it comes to prayer. But, but the word actor means to play a role that you're not, you're not yourself. When we think about prayer in this context, we are more concerned about what others are thinking of us than what God is thinking of us. I've joked about it before. About I, I went to Bible college with a guy who... When we came to prayer time, he, he morphed. Like, it was like something, like, and it definitely wasn't the spirit. It, it was like, it was, he morphed into Ian Paisley. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened to him. I, like, the spirit of Paisley, I, I don't know what it was. But something got inside him, and his voice changed. And I'm sure God in heaven was thinking, who the places are you? He was not himself. Be yourself, Jesus says. Don't be like the hypocrites who put on a show. Be yourself. When you pray to God, speak like you speak. So when, like, David Hanning comes to God, do you know who God wants to hear? David. doesn't want to hear the Ian Paisley version of David. You get what I'm saying? Be yourself. And I think, I think sometimes this can be so off-putting, right? I'm just going to be honest. I'm off-piece a wee bit, but anyway. This can be so off-putting for people, especially coming into prayer meetings. When, when, when we hear people pray a certain way or put on a certain voice or put on, like, say certain things or cliches or whatever it might be, I think that's off-putting for people. So I'm going to say it. Don't do it. Be yourself. Don't be an actor. Don't be an actor. The third thing of this, this actor thing is how does this apply? How does this apply to us? Well, ultimately it applies to us how we pray. One, are we praying to God, or are we praying for the approval of others? It's really simple. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them, Jesus says. So Jesus says, listen, you're not going to be like the actors who pray for the, pray for the attention of the, or the applause of others. 
You're going to be different. As I say, this is the upside down, back to front kingdom of God that Jesus establishes. It's not like the world. It's different. So, I think there's a couple of things I really want to say that I think are important when it comes to this. It's this. When Jesus says, go into your room, close the door and pray, that's not the only time he's saying you can pray, by the way. He's, he's trying to communicate some, an attitude, a heart attitude. He's not saying the only time you can pray, because that, if, we, if that was the case, then what we would do would be wrong on a Sunday, what we would do in prayer gatherings would be wrong. He's not just saying that, but what he's saying is this. Pray like, it's a hard attitude of this, pray like no one is watching or listening, apart from God. Pray like no one is watching or listening apart from God. That's all he's saying when he's saying that. Last few prayer gatherings we've had in, in Cornerstone have been, I, in my opinion, some of the most powerful, significant prayer times we've had. Right? And part of the reason for that is that our children and our young people are here. Our children and our young people have come to the last few. Well, they've been coming now for a while. But, but last, the last time we had, I think we had 50-odd, and, and the majority of them were kids and, and young people. But we can learn so much about prayer from our children and from our young people. We can learn so much. To hear them pray and to hear the simplicity of their prayers is astounding. Our prayers, that's, that's exactly the way our prayers are supposed to be. They are supposed to be childlike. Now, hear me, not childish. There's a difference. Not childish, but childlike. We can learn so much from them. Jesus, when he says, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is in secret, what he's saying is, when, you go, when you're anywhere, when you're in a prayer gathering, when you're here on Sundays, when you're, pray like he's the only one that's watching or listening. And he then goes on to say, don't be like the Gentiles who babble on and on. We've all been there. Probably most of us have been there in a prayer gathering or somewhere where, you know, I'm looking at Thelma because me and Thelma used to go to church together and we, we can look at each other. We just know what we're talking about. <laughs> We've all been there. Jesus says, don't be, like the, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like them because they just want to be heard for their many, many words and their many, many phrases and their cliches and their whatever. And they think that's what that's what'll do it. No. Your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. Make it simple. If Jesus was, he didn't say, keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. He knows what you need. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows exactly what you need. So, prayer is a conversation. It is a confession of our inability. It is for our good. 
the warning that Jesus gives us is not to be like these actors who stand and pray for the attention and the applause of men. He knows what you need. Keep it simple. Jesus here, in his outline of prayer, says something that I think we can overlook very, very easily. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, do we think that Jesus was sit, literally just asking the disciples to ask for bread? No. Bread throughout the whole of Scripture was synonymous with God's provision. You think back through the Old Testament, think back through the people in the wilderness, God provided what for them? Manna. Bread from heaven. We come into the New Testament. Jesus says, I am what? When we pray, give us our daily bread, we are praying that he would provide for us daily, yes, but he also has provided for us eternally in himself. He is our daily bread. Jesus is our daily bread and we feast on him every single day. He's our provision. So when we come to communion, I think about that. He is our provision. Folks, that's our series on life in the ordinary uh, completed. As I say, I don't know if I've done enough to convince you that these things will bring you life. Uh, it has been the contention of theologians throughout the ages that they will. So, the key, the key, I'm giving away the key to everything in life here, so this is, this is important. Commitment and consistency. Commitment and consistency. If we are committed to these things and consistent with these things, we will find life in Christ. Amen? Let me pray first. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have given it to us and you speak, you speak through it. Uh, Father, we thank you for this unbelievable privilege that we have of coming to you. Creator of all things, sustainer of all things. We love you. We thank you for the way that you've provided for us, especially in Christ Jesus, who is our provision, who is our daily bread. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen.